If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Genesis chapter 45. We are continuing our series on working on our emotional health and following the emotional health of Jesus. And uh, we've talked for two weeks on identity. Today we are talking about overcoming your family. And so uh, hopefully this will be helpful for us as we see how it was in the life of Joseph who was definitely a biblical character who had to overcome his family. Heavenly Fathers, we open up the word. We ask that you would open up our hearts right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, anybody know who Robert Orban is? He's still alive. Uh, he's, he's old now, but he's still alive. Um, he was a famous comedian in the 40s and 50s and 60s. And he's, his comedy was largely devoted to family humor. Uh, and he would kind of say things that were, you know, kind of jokingly negative about his family. He would say things like, I take my children everywhere. Unfortunately, they find a way home, you know, and, and you know, he'd have these little one-liners, you know, never raise your hand to your children because it exposes your midsection, you know, so it's, it's he always kind of had this thing, but the one he's known for, kind of most famous quip is uh, during World War II when Winston Churchill was being broadcast on the radio and uh, Winston Churchill said, we shall fight on the beaches and we shall fight on the landing grounds, and we shall fight in the fields, and we shall fight in the streets, and we shall fight in the hills. And Orban looks at his friends and goes, wow, my goodness, that sounds like my last family vacation. He always had quips, you know, and, and I think we laugh at them, but in some ways uh, that can be indicative of, of us. All of us probably have a family vacation or two where it just did not go well at all. It was fighting or you know you and your wife or husband were fighting the kids were fighting everybody was fighting it's just you couldn't wait to get home and uh, so this morning in part of looking at our emotional health and following in the path of Jesus and having the mind of Christ we have to look at some of the unhealthy patterns that we can receive from our families and Matthew chapter 10 verse 37 Jesus said something that has been puzzling people for centuries. He said, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me, or their family culture is really what he's saying, anyone who loves their father, mother, or family more than me is not worthy of me. Because Jesus knew something about our families that is very hard for some of us to accept and very easy for others. That our families, even the best of them, no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard they try, our families still suffer from the unhealthy effects of sin. They're there. The early messages and influences that we took as children powerfully influence our present behaviors as well as our self-esteem. Now, Jesus isn't saying, don't love your family. This is what I get from a lot of people. Why does Jesus say, don't love your family? Jesus is not saying, don't love your family. What Jesus is saying is, let my influence be greater than your family. Let my definition of who you are be greater than your family's. Let my culture guide you more than theirs. Peter Scazzaro, he's a, a pastor from New York City. Uh, he's written a lot of books about uh, emotional health, Christian emotional health and the mind of Christ. Uh, really good books uh, coming out of what we've come out of the last year or so. And, and one of the books he wrote called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, it's a Christian book, he describes the 10 commandments of unhealthy family patterns 
that Jesus wants to overcome in us. And of course, one of the things that, that he says that's very profound is many of us are unaware of the unhealthy patterns that our families gave to us. For us, it is the world as we know it. And it's the only world we know. They were imprinted on us when we were so small that we do not often know a world without some of these unhealthy patterns. It isn't until the Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts and our eyes are open that we begin to realize, wow, I have an unhealthy pattern or habit that I inherited from my family that's been killing me. And I need to be free from it. So let's have a little fun here. Uh, I want to see, just kind of count in your head, how many of these 10 unhealthy things would you say you've seen in your family or, you know, in, in you particularly? Not that you've seen in others, but just for you particularly. How many of these line up for you and your family? All right. The first unhealthy commandment is this, and he kind of says it in commandments. Number one, money is the best way to become safe. Plus, the more money you have, the more important you are. Number two, conflict is to be avoided at all costs. But if you have to win a conflict, you must be the loudest and the maddest in the fight. Number three, sex is not to be spoken of ever, and it should be assumed it will come easy in marriage. Number four, sadness is a sign of weakness. And it is unacceptable to be depressed in our family. Number five, anger is bad. Use sarcasm instead. Number six, you owe your parents for everything they have ever done for you. And it is your life's duty to honor your family and culture. They come before everything and anybody else. Number seven, Trust nobody, but look out for your own best interests, for anyone outside the family will surely let you down. Number eight, only be close and marry to people who look like us, act like us, and talk like us. Number nine, success is getting into the right school, getting the right job, and picking the right spouse. And number 10, your feelings are not important. And certain feelings you shouldn't have because they're completely irrelevant. All right, so quick straw poll here. How many of you have at least one of those in your family you saw? Okay, okay, everybody's got one. How many of you have four? How would you say, you know, I counted four. All right, four of those. Okay, four. How many, let's, let's, go, let's go over 50%. Let's go to six. How many of you had six of those? All right, we got, we got six. We'll keep going. Seven, seven. All ten? <laughs> Mark, two hands. <laughs> I mean, you know, hopefully as you've heard those, you can relate because in many of those commandments, you can almost see why they might be there, you know? It's totally fear-based. 
It's totally based on fear and control and distrust, which is the way many of us, unfortunately, have to sort of claw through this place we call earth, but it's completely opposite to the life of love and freedom and peace that God wants for us and our families with the best of intentions. I have to, as I was reading those, my first thought was, oh my goodness, have I done this to my kids at all? Have I, you know, sort of exemplified these to my kids? And of course, when I think of my family, I think, oh my goodness, you know, I'm like many people here. I've got nine or 10 of these that people who espouse these kinds of values. And so the Bible also has plenty of examples of how families can negatively affect the generations. When God led the people out of Egypt, it ended up taking them 40 years to take a trip that should have only taken 40 days. Why? Because God had to get the Egypt out of them. God had to get Egypt out of them, which was the unhealthy patterns that had been in them through the generations so that they could become God's people. It took 40 years. Hopefully it'll take you and I a lot less time than that. The story of Abraham's family, sort of the last free Hebrew family before they went down into Egypt, is really in many ways a good example. Uh, As much as the blessings of Abraham passed to his children and successive generations, unhealthy family patterns also emerged. And so we're going to look at some of Abraham's unhealthy patterns, and maybe you'll recognize these in some of yours in addition to the commandments we just did. One of the first unhealthy patterns we see in Abraham's family is they had a pattern of lying. There was a lot of lying that went on in Abraham's family, and the Bible does not hide any of this family's deficiencies at all. Abraham lied about his wife, Sarah, not even calling her his wife. And he didn't just do it once. He did it twice. Isaac and Rebekah's marriage, what little is written about it, is characterized by lies and deceit and manipulation. And Jacob, Jacob lied to almost everybody. Do you know what Jacob means? It means he lies. They named him, you know, the deceiver. And Joseph's brothers, who's Jacob's sons, when they sold Joseph into slavery, They lied about what they did, and they even held a fake funeral for Joseph, keeping a family secret for 15 to 17 years. They had a pattern of lies. They also had a pattern of favoritism. Abraham favored Ishmael. Isaac favored his son Esau over Jacob. Jacob favored his son Joseph and Benjamin over the other 10 brothers. So you have lying and favoritism. Uh, Another thing that they had was a lot of sibling rivalry. Isaac and Ishmael, they were cut off from each other. They had to dwell in separate lands. Jacob had to flee from Esau because he stole his birthright. And Joseph, Joseph was sold into slavery. His brothers were hoping they would never see him again. And then finally, their marriages showed an obvious lack of intimacy. Abraham has a child with his maidservant, and it is his wife who gives him the maidservant. Isaac has a terrible relationship with Rebekah. 
And Jacob had two wives, but it's very obvious he didn't want one of them. What's that going to do for the intimacy of that and the connection of that marriage? And so we finally get all this to Genesis chapter 45. All of this unhealthy family stuff has finally been poured into one individual called Joseph. And Joseph has been sold into slavery. And Joseph has received all the negative effects from his family. However, he did receive one positive. He did receive the blessing of Abraham in that he knew the real and one true God. And he knew that that real and one true God was with him. And he did not blame God. And he did not get disappointed or angry with God. But he made God his partner as he went through all of the trials and tribulations. At 17, he was sold as a slave to Egypt. By the time he's 32 or 33, he'll become second in command of all of Egypt. What, what happens in those 15 years is nothing short of horror. He's a slave. He's accused of a crime he didn't commit. He's thrown in prison. He's forgotten in prison twice. Finally interprets the dream of the Pharaoh and gets released and becomes the vice regent. But Joseph, and if you want to flip your sheet over, I'm going to give you the fill in the point, fill in the blanks here. My first point is this, Joseph acknowledged and allowed God to heal the effects of his family. Joseph acknowledged them. Sometimes we have to acknowledge them. I love my father and mother. I acknowledge they are not perfect. In fact, they'll be the first to tell me, yeah, there's probably some uh, parts of my habit or temperament I hope you don't get. I say that, to, I think of that with my own sons. Yeah, there's, there's some parts of my temperament I hope you don't get. I hope, I hope that skips you and it is gone forever because, you know, sometimes we have to get honest and acknowledge there are family patterns that have messed me up. And Joseph acknowledged that, and he allowed God to heal the effects of his family. How do we know that? We know that by how he named his children. Joseph named his firstborn children Manasseh. Manasseh means to forget. And he said, God has enabled me to forget all of my troubles. And to some degree, some of us need to learn how to forget. If there's terrible things and terrible family patterns in your family, uh, there's, some, there's some real wisdom in doing your best to try to forget them and not replicate them and not keep them alive any longer because maybe God wants them to die in your generation, in your family line. Not in every case, but forgetting what lies behind and pressing on toward God is a very healthy step toward freedom. He named his second son Ephraim. Ephraim means to be fruitful. And he said, because God has made me fruitful despite my life of suffering. In Genesis 45 too, Joseph is reunited with the 10 brothers who sold him. I don't know about you. These are 10 brothers who threw him in a well because they initially wanted to kill him. But then they thought, if we kill him, we get nothing. 
we sell him, we'll at least get some money out of the deal. They sell him. And now 15 years later, the tide has turned. The script has flipped. Joseph has got the money, and they're begging for food. So here's Joseph with these 10 guys, and they don't know who he is yet. And he's got a choice. He could snap his fingers and have them all impaled. Or he could forgive them. Whatever conversation Joseph had had in his heart for the last 15 years was about to be revealed. If his conversation was bitterness and revenge and anger and disappointment and how could they do that to me and I'm just nothing but this and I'm just nothing but that like so many of us are tempted to do. I submit to you Joseph would have killed him on the spot. But his conversation was different. It happened. They did it. But he saw a greater partner in his life other than his brothers. And so for 15 years, he kept asking God, why did this happen to me? Why are you doing I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I'm just seeking the information about my life's journey. And it was in that moment when all of a sudden he could now save his family from starvation that it clicked. And he went, oh. Thank God I had forgiveness in my heart toward my brother all those years because now I can support their families. In fact, in Genesis 45, 2, verse 2, you'll see the verse up here if you don't have it. It says, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph never minimized or rationalized his pain. He wept so loudly the whole palace of Pharaoh heard him weeping. In fact, I would submit to you this and, and listen to this one. Only out of honest grieving can we ever forgive and move on from the pain that our families, our friends, life deals us. We need to be like Joseph. Joseph. And weep so loud, our neighbors hear it. Because that was able to bring him to that place of not only forgiving his family, but blessing them. We'll get there in a second. Number two, Joseph placed God bigger than his family. This may be hard for some of you to do. Families are very influential. They're very powerful. Most of us live to meet up to those expectations. Most of us live to please mom and dad or to look good for the family, to not be the family's black sheep or whatever you want to call it. So it can be very powerful. Well, in some ways, you could say Joseph was the family's black sheep, and yet he consistently and constantly placed God above his family. And that's how he was actually able to love and, and bless his family the most was because he placed God higher than them. Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 45, verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Instead of blaming God for his family in current circumstances, he partnered with God to see victory and overcome them. Joseph saw that God could take every sin, every mistake, every detour, every hard season, every hardship in our lives, and turn it into a future blessing in some way. And Paul echoes this thought in Romans 8, 28 when he says, in all things God works for the good 
for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That's what you get when you place God higher than anything else, anybody else, including the most powerful influence in your life, which is your family's. Number three, Joseph forgave his family because of God's greater influence. If you look at the very next verse in verse nine, Joseph says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. Remember, they all think Joseph's dead. This is gonna be a huge shock. This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Well, slight exaggeration. He's still second in command. But uh, uh, he gets the point, you know. Come down to me. Don't delay. Unforgiveness would have destroyed Joseph. I can tell you right now, we would not be reading about him today. Not all of Jacob's sons were this emotionally healthy. Joseph was. And that's why we're reading about his story. If he had unforgiveness in his heart, he'd be like one of those people that say this. I'm just a mistake. I'm worthless. I will never trust again. I will never risk again. I will never feel again. Life is too painful and I'm a loser, so I'm just going to check out. That's what unforgiveness can do to you. It cuts you off from the voice of God. The voice of God which is constantly saying, you are not a mistake. You're invaluable. Life's pain can be overcome and you can be restored. Because Joseph had a more powerful relationship with God than with his family. When the moment came, Listen to me. When the moment for Joseph came, he was able to forgive. I had an enemy once. Someone, I don't know if I could say hated, but it was an enemy. I did not like him. And I confessed this to another pastor friend of mine. And he said this, we got to pray right now you forgive him. I said, I don't know if I'm there yet. I think I need more time. I said, no, you do not know when the moment will come. So you have to begin the process of forgiveness now because that moment may come 30 minutes when this meeting is over. Don't you want to be ready to forgive when the moment comes because then you'll be free and released from the bitterness and anger and heaviness that this hatred has deposited into you. You want to be ready to forgive when the moment comes. And Joseph had 15 years to get ready. And then finally, number four, Joseph blessed his family rather than cursed him. In Genesis 45, 11, he says, I will provide for you because five years of famine, they're in a big famine, are still to come. Now, Joseph could have destroyed his family. In fact, when you're deeply wounded by your family, Blessing them seems to be an impossible task. I remember somebody once looked at me and said, Tom, I'm just glad I'm at forgiveness. Don't ask me to bless them. (laughs) I'm glad I got the forgiveness. Why was it so important for Joseph to turn around and bless his family after they had mistreated him so much? Why was it so important? So that his family would not have power over him. Because when you can't bless your enemies... When you can't pray for those who persecute you, 
then they have more power over you than God. And God wanted Joseph to be free from that. That God was bigger than his family and all the healthy family stuff that filtered on through the generations. You know what they say? They say you are still affected by the generations. You're still affected by your ancestors from the 1870s about 130 to 140 years ago, you're still feeling their effects down through the generations. So that's why some of you are like, yeah, you know, when my parents first came to, or my ancestors first came to America, you know, they were poets and they were, you know, all these great people. And I don't know, something happened in the 19th century and we've been recovering ever since. Yep, it's true. You have been recovering ever since. And so, uh, you know, that, it, it goes back 130, 140 years Joseph blessed his family rather than cursed them. Now, I understand that in some certain areas of abuse within a family, you might not be able to bless them in person. I would never ask that of anybody who's been abused, particularly by a family member. But nonetheless, there are ways to show blessing that don't have, always have to be in person. You don't have to carry the story. You don't have to carry the hatred. You don't have to carry the hatchet. Many of you may not remember the book version of Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Unfortunately, it will be unpublished uh, after, I think, next, after May. Uh, May, they have canceled a whole bunch of Dr. Seuss books. But uh, I will tell you uh, one of the most amazing parts of this book, uh, if you haven't seen the movie or you haven't read the book. Essentially, the Grinch is this monster who steals all of this town's Christmas presents and in the book movie doesn't always say it's been the book he also steals what not only the presents but the trees you know <laughs> I think he steals the presents and the trees and he steals them all up and he brings them up to this cold mountainous lair he's in and he's sitting at the edge and he's just can't wait to hear all the moaning and all the crying and all of the sorrow and all of the pain of the town when they wake up and their Christmas trees and their Christmas presents are gone. But instead, the town wakes up and realizes the trees and the presents weren't what Christmas was about anyway. About people. The love of family. The love of our village. The love of our town. And so they celebrated Christmas with each other out in the town square singing and laughing and rejoicing. And it says this. The behavior of the Who's, those are the people, instead of frustrating the Grinch, enlarged his wicked small heart by transforming it into one of goodness and love. It's a kid's story, but it's really a parallel of Joseph. By acknowledging it, giving it to God, forgiving through God's help, and being able to bless his family, Joseph cut off the patterns from his family. And by the way, here's the aftermath. From them on, the Hebrews aren't particularly known for being liars, showing favorites, having sibling rivalries, or living in bad marriages. In fact, within just a few generations, we see the Hebrews become known for their strong family, their great marriages, 
and they're the predictable honesty. In fact, by the time Moses comes on the scene, their family structure and their marriages were so superior to the Egyptians that the Egyptians were trying to commit genocide because their marriages and their families were so healthy. What does that show? You can be the one. God breaks the unhealth in, and all of a sudden, a whole new path for your family gets to be on the path of God. And that old, unhealthy pattern, you know what it becomes? History. History. The past that never has to be revisited again. Just because your family may have patterned you one way doesn't mean that through Christ God can't lead you out of the Egypt of your past and into the promised blessing, the promised land and blessing of your future. This morning I want to give a little bit of space to just pray. It's a hard thing to see and a hard thing to accept. I think Pete Scazzaro's right. Many of us may not even see or be aware of all of the unhealthiness of our families. And so this morning, I want to pray that God would deliver us out of our own Egypt. Egypt is that place of lying and fighting and slavery and pain and suffering. To lead us out of that into the promised land where not only do we see our family's unhealthy habits broken, but we can begin to see the new healthy family, healthy habits of the Holy Spirit move forth in our own families or friends or workplace. So go ahead and repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, lead me out of Egypt and into the promised land. Get Egypt out of me and I make you my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your spirit that I may be a witness unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.